Hi, my name is Michelle. I am a proud member of the Quiver River Electric Co-op in Missouri. There are many things I love about my co-op. The amazing ongoing education and service they provide to its members is top notch. Whether it's providing answers about my bill or rebate checks, repairing lines during outages, providing tips and tricks via their Facebook page or mailings, and even visiting my school to educate my fourth graders on the importance of safety with electricity. Thank you, Quiver River Electric Co-op, for being an amazing organization. Welcome to the Power For Your Life podcast, where we focus on energy efficiency, the value of electric cooperative membership, and safety around electricity. I'm Daryl Lindsay, your host. Today's topic, the cooperative difference. My guest is Kevin Hurd, Manager of Administrative Services with Quiver River Electric Cooperative in Troy, Missouri. Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Cooperatives are local energy, and in some cases, technology providers. Local co-ops were built by local people decades ago, and they are led by local people today. One of the major differences between co-ops and other utilities is that co-ops return what we call capital credits to members. In 2018, America's electric co-ops returned more than $1.2 billion in capital credits to members. Kevin, if you would, explain what the term capital credits means. So in in Missouri, the electric co-ops are are chartered as rural electric co-ops and we're a nonprofit. And so under the electric co-op business model, basically electric co-ops operate at cost. Obviously, just like any good business, we also have to plan for contingencies. And so you have a little excess in, in that uh, in, when you set up your rates. But basically, uh, when electric co-ops at the end of a, a fiscal year have excess revenues, those are what the electric co-op business model calls margins, uh, uh, a regular business model with which most people are familiar with would be called profit, but uh, we call them margins. And those margins then, uh, according to electric bylaws, electric co-op bylaws, are then uh, allocated to members. And so uh, each member, based on how much they paid for their their electricity during the, the, the fiscal year, how much they paid, and, and the volume that they used uh, are allocated through a formula process, a portion of those revenues. And then as the board of directors of each electric co-op uh, feel that the co-op is in a financial position to retire those, those margins are then returned back to the members uh, in the form of what we call capital credits. So it's just a return of the uh, member owner's uh, investment in the in the co-op and uh, and so that's one area that makes uh, electric co-ops unique uh, compared to a municipal utility or an investor-owned utility. There's a direct relationship between receiving a check once a year with your member satisfaction scores. Talk about that if you would. 
we, we have a pretty aggressive capital credit program. We've been retiring capital credits since uh, 1976. We've returned $30 million back to our members in the last four years alone. This year was a little over $6 million that we retired to our members in, in the form of capital credits. And obviously, when you've got, you know, 66, 67,000 uh, members, that doesn't make anyone rich when you return back that money. But each year, it does add up, and we get a lot of great, positive member feedback on returning those checks. And, you know, we, we, we always get questions. We typically return them around the first week of August, uh, right before our annual meeting, typically. We'll get people calling in, in July or coming in and asking, you know, are you going to retire those capital credits, or are we going to get our check is how they... They look at it. Are we going to get our check uh, soon? And so people, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in the grocery line at, at home and uh, see someone that I, I know and they'll say, hey, are we getting our check soon? And so it just has become something that our members look forward to. And it, it seems to, to have a positive uh, influence on them. I, I'll never forget uh, several years ago, one of our U.S. Uh, Congresswomen in the area is a member of ours at Innsbruck, Missouri, where they have a, a lot of weekend homes. And she and her husband are members uh, of Quiver River from there. And calling uh, our CEO, calling on her in, in D.C. on a legislative visit, uh, she happened to mention that. They said, hey, we're, we're looking forward to getting our check next month. So uh, it, it does have an impact. Uh, that's why we've we've talked for many, many years. It would be more advantageous uh, cost-wise for us to just give bill credits on capital credits uh, to members, but we don't do that simply because we want them to physically have that check in hand. And again, for most people, you know, it, it, it's, it's 25, 30 bucks for some that have been on our lines because we do use a hybrid method of returning capital credits. So we return some of our oldest capital credits and we also return some of our newest capital credits. So it, for most people, it doesn't make a big difference. But if you if you are uh, been on the lines long enough that you're getting both the older retirement and the newer retirement, uh, you know, it can add up to uh, a substantial, uh, usually at least a, a month's worth of electricity. So that seems to have spurred our ACSI scores. That's one one reason we think uh, that has positively impacted our ACSI scores, which have always been uh, relatively high compared to uh, others in the electric utility industry and uh, even compared to uh, some of the more well-known and well-thought-of businesses across the country. This is a bit of a difficult subject to discuss, Kevin, but can you explain what happens with capital credits upon the death of a member? Sure. Uh, we've had a bylaw, portion of our bylaw that was approved a number of years ago now that allows us to retire capital credits so that an estate can be closed when a member has passed away. And it just didn't make a lot of sense to us. And it caused some real issues for members of the family who were trying to close out an estate to, uh, to, to keep those capital credits on file and not allow an early retirement of those 
um, in some cases. So those would have been the oldest. And as I mentioned, we use a hybrid method. So we're back, the oldest capital credits that we have are about 20 to 23 years old. And then we also retire a portion of the uh, most recent year also. If you uh, needed to retire an estate, you know, those are older capital credits for the most part, and it could take years and years. And so in order to help those family members close out those estates, we submitted a bylaw to the membership, which was passed. And so we discount those remaining capital credits in that member's account who's passed away. It's a formula based on our cost of money. As you know, a dollar today is not going to be worth a dollar 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now. And so we do use uh, as a basis in the formula our current cost of money. And so we discount the retirement, but allow that uh, estate to receive those discounted capital credits uh, so that they, uh, the, those are taken off our books, and then we no longer have the obligation to, uh, to uh, maintain those records and continue to try to refund those when the board approves a retirement for those particular years. And it allows the family members then to go on and close the estate and, and wrap up their, their family business. So it's been a very helpful, I believe, beneficial tool to our members and to us because we have the obligation uh, all of those capital credits that we hold on the books are an obligation that we have to pay our members. That's how it's listed on our financials. And uh, every year uh, we're audited. And, and of course, they go over the capital credit uh, program pretty uh, extensively to make sure that, that we've got our records maintained properly. And um, so we have that obligation to, uh, to continue those records. And between our bylaws and state statutes uh, governing electric cooperatives, we have an obligation, a legal obligation. Um, once we, the board agrees to retire a certain year of capital credits to try to find those folks if they're no longer on our lines. And so we continue to try to find them for a period of two years. And if unsuccessful, uh, then we're required by law and our bylaws to try to notify those. And so what we do for two months in a row, we buy pages and pages of our local newspapers. And so we're required to, to post those names that we're looking for uh, that may have uh, unclaimed money through Quiver River uh, in the county in which they last resided when they were our members. And we have to post those two months in a row. Uh, and that's, you know, every year that we have to do that. And then if we haven't been able to to find the member, the, the previous member after two years and those postings, then that money goes into uh, back to our general fund. So we do have a legal obligation that we take very seriously to uh, maintain records and try to refund those monies uh, back to previous members. And that's the other, I guess, comments that we get all the time from previous members who may not even live in the state anymore. And we've been able to, they've maintained a mailing address, we've been able to find them and return their money. <laughs> and they just said, this is crazy. You're giving us money that based on our electric bill and the cost that we paid for that electric, you know, 20 years ago, this is unheard of. So those make you feel good and, and we're happy to do that. And again, it's a legal obligation. That's really why in 1994, our board, based on management recommendation, 
began using a hybrid method of returning those capital credits. Always before it was the oldest capital credits are retired. As our margins, uh, the remaining money left over after paying bills each year, you know, got higher, it became harder and harder to retire in one single year. Then you retire a portion of those, and then it just strings out the retirement program a little longer. But we also notice we're obviously in an area that is in a, uh, a suburb or an urban area of the St. Louis metro area. And so we have seen tremendous growth uh, really since the 80s. In uh, the 90s and early 2000s, one of our, uh, where we have 60% of our members actually, St. Charles County was one of the 25 fastest growing counties in the country for a number of years. And so we were the beneficiary of that type of growth. And so we had, we, we did studies back in the early 90s that showed we had about 25% of our members that had been on our lines less than five years. And they really didn't know any difference between us and the investor-owned utility that perhaps they came from, except that we perhaps we had a little better service and our rates were, were a little cheaper. But we wanted a, a tangible way to let those people know that they were members of an electric co-op and the benefits that, that came from that. As I said, in 1994, this started. And in that particular year, we did 33% of the oldest capital credits that we had, which were 1983. And then we did about 12% of the newest from the, the previous year, 1993. And so we have continued that, that hybrid method since that time. Uh, and just in uh, 2020, actually, we retired 33% of capital credits from 1997. That's our oldest remaining capital credits. We retired 33% of 2018's capital credits that were remain. And we retired 33% of 2019. And that just gives our newer members a tangible uh, notice that they belong to an electric cooperative and not just an investor-owned or a municipal-owned utility. It doesn't make them rich, but it is something that, uh, as I've mentioned before, over time they get used to and look forward to. And uh, again, it can amount to a substantial amount of money. And this year, typically, as I mentioned, we retire those capital credits in August. And this year we actually did a retirement in June because of the COVID-19 pandemic and just knew that a lot of our members had been furloughed or laid off or uh, weren't able to pursue their employment opportunities as they once were. Just felt that uh, our community probably needed, you know, that extra boost of uh, of income, even if it's twenty five bucks. And so we, re our board, retired those capital credits several months early, just to be able to help out uh, our members in the community. We're a mobile society, and people move sometimes across the country, and they forget to provide a new address to the co-op. This may result in what's called unclaimed capital credits. How do you all handle those monies? Well, uh, once again, it's an obligation that we have to our members. As a member of an electric cooperative, you have a part ownership in that cooperative. Those capital credits, whether you're still an active member or not, represent your portion of the equity in the electric cooperative. And we have that obligation as the electric cooperative to 
try to return those those assets, which really belong to you. They don't belong to the cooperative. Uh, as I mentioned, they're a from a financial standpoint, they're a legal obligation that we owe. So it certainly is not part of our assets. And so we try to do the right thing for the the members and uh, in this case, previous members and fulfill our fiduciary responsibility and legal responsibility to try to maintain records. And we try to emphasize and educate our current members that if for whatever reason you do leave our system, uh, please uh, remain, continue to give us a forwarding address if you move from your, your next move so that we can maintain those records. And once those capital credits are retired, to uh, provide those to you. We have a large mobile society, as you mentioned, and in our area, which is a, a largely urban, you tend to have more, even more mobility than you would at a smaller, more rural electric co-op. And so um, we have a lot of people leaving, coming in our line, staying for a few years and then, and then moving somewhere else. And so it, it is a challenge to try to maintain those records. And, and once those uh, capital credits are retired, uh, to try to find them and make sure that they get the money that is owed to them. We have a full-time staff that uh, one full-time person and several part-time people, that that's, that's their function at the co-op, is to try to maintain those records and uh, continue to uh, find and uh, make sure that those folks get their money. We have participated in a strategic planning session with the senior staff and our board last year. And one of the items is to look at the possibility of developing down the road, not anytime in the next year or so, but in the next several years to look at the possibility of developing a program where when a member moves off of our lines, that we could, similar to a the situation that we have with retiring estates and discounting that money early to retire capital credit accounts early on, on a discounted basis. And so we'll be looking at that to see if that makes some sense, both for our members, our previous members, and for the co-op and what you know type of financial responsibility that would mean. There's a lot of aspects to that. We've got to make sure that we could properly fund that if uh, we implemented a program like that. So that's why it's going to take a, a year or two to kind of study and see the ramifications and what all requirements we'd have to put into that. That, of course, would take a bylaw change. And so uh, once we have that study done, if the board would approve that, then it would have to go before the membership at an annual meeting and a bylaw change. But that's just one of the aspects that we look at. The society is more mobile. We take that responsibility very seriously as part of our co-op function, that that's money owed to you. It's not the co-ops. And we do everything we can to try to get it to you uh, once the, the time is appropriate for that. And it helps the member and it helps us not have to uh, maintain as many records, perhaps. Our thinking is it would be an optional program. We would not force everyone to do that. If they wanted to wait and get the full value of their capital credits when those are retired, they could opt in to do that or they could opt into the program to have it discounted and have those capital credits retired completely and be able to close out that account. So again, it's not a done deal. A lot of study has to go into it, again, looking at the ramifications, but it, it is a concept that we're very serious about studying and seeing if it can be a viable 
option for us and our members in the future. This is very important information for any co-op member. Capital credits, just one difference in the cooperative business model. Concern for community is yet another. Let's take a short break and when we come back, Kevin will share how Quiver River Electric Cooperative provides difference makers when we return. They say that knowledge is power, and it's never been truer than today. That's why your Touchstone Energy Cooperative reminds you, keep six feet from others, stay at home, and wash your hands frequently. It'll keep you, your family, and all of us a lot safer. So if we're scheduled to come to your home, please tell us beforehand if you or someone in your family's been sick. Because knowledge is power. Discover the value of your co-op membership. Visit membersfirst.coop today. Electric cooperatives are not like other utilities. We operate at cost, collecting enough revenue to efficiently run the business. We don't raise rates to generate profits for distant shareholders. If your local cooperative has excess revenue at the end of the year, that money is allocated to the members as capital credits. Discover the power of your co-op membership. Visit membersfirst.coop today. Energy saving tip number 86. Do not use rooftop power ventilators or attic exhaust as they may draw conditioned air from your home. Back with more of the Power for Your Life podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Hurd with Quiver River Electric Cooperative in Troy, Missouri. Before the break, Kevin was sharing some very informative details about capital credits as part of the cooperative difference. As local electric cooperatives, you are considered difference makers. Co-ops made a difference in lives decades ago by providing electricity to places where power was not available. One thing that has been a consistent difference maker is that co-ops have a concern for community. Kevin, if you would, tell me how your co-op is involved in the communities you serve. Well, and I, and I think this is an attribute that, that many electric co-ops, uh, not only in Missouri, but across the country, show to their communities. And, and as you mentioned, it is one of the cooperative principles that we operate under is to have concern for the community and to be involved in the community. So I think there's several areas in which Quiver River has been a part of, of trying to make a difference in our communities that we serve. One is economic development. We uh, have been very uh, diligent since I've been involved and, and it's an area that I've had the opportunity to coordinate for Quiver River for a number of years now. And we've been, you know, moderately successful in, in participating with our local and regional uh, and state economic development organizations to 
bring new industrial commercial load to our communities in our service territory. Uh, whether Quiver actually serves those loads is certainly a, a goal of ours, but it's not the most important goal, simply in the fact that if those type of opportunities and organizations, businesses come to our communities, our communities are strengthened, uh, they have more employment opportunities, better wages, better benefits, health care, and therefore it just strengthens our whole community. Uh, including our members. But we certainly uh, strive to uh, to locate every single load that we can uh, that makes sense uh, onto our lines. And as I mentioned, we've been moderately successful in those efforts over the years. We actually uh, developed our own industrial park out in Warren County in Wright City, Missouri, that's been successful. And uh, we've continued to uh, see some some good growth in uh, commercial and industrial loads in, especially in the St. Charles County area, uh, around Lake St. Louis, and O'Fallon, and those areas. So I think that's one way that we have consistently been part of the community and helped strengthen our community. Some of the the other areas, and I know a number of co-ops are involved in this, but in um, 1997, I believe, we started what we call Operation Roundup. And uh, this was a program started by, I believe, Palmetto Electric out in South Carolina, where they asked their members to round up their electric bill each month up to the nearest whole dollar. In most cases, when a member agrees to do that, uh, on average, we've seen that they're paying, they average about $6 a year uh, on, on that. But we initiated that program in... Um, in 1997, um, it, it's a, a community outreach program that for, for those members that participate in rounding up their electric bill payments each month, uh, we've got over 90% of our members uh, doing that. And the goal is simply to help individuals and families, uh, different community organizations address needs that cannot be met with other resources. Um, and in our grants, uh, uh, they're governed by a set of bylaws, and there is a independent or a, a separate trust board. Those trust members are members of our service communities, and they're appointed by our board, but they act independently of our board on how to distribute those monies using certain guidelines. And the, the focus that we have, we have several major areas of focus for those grants, uh, community needs, emergency services, education and scholarships, uh, health is one of our focus areas, home weatherization and youth. Right now, I believe that every month with with members rounding up their uh, electric bills to the nearest whole dollar again, um, we're averaging around $15,000 a month that goes into that trust fund. And um, then the trust board receives applications from individuals or organizations and families that um, they have a process to go through and they have to provide a lot of information. And this trust board does its due diligence to look into these and uh, they fund a large majority of those requests. And there are some dollar limits on those. I believe an organization, a community organization, 
can get up to $10,000 a year. I think a family or an individual can get up to uh, $2,500. In some cases, a family, I guess, is five thousand a year. It's a program that's gained a lot of positive publicity for the co-op and and actually has benefited a large number of individuals. We're very proud of the fact and very happy that since our, its inception with Quiver River, we uh, hit the six million dollar mark of grants uh, awarded to our different communities since the program inception in 97. Uh, we've been able to uh, give over 2,300 scholarships to colleges, universities, other areas. Uh, if, if they're not getting a college degree, uh, like rank and tech schools, those type of things. And so we've been able to award $1.2 million in scholarships alone in that time. We've been able to award money to over 1,600 different community organizations and about 2,300 individuals and families uh, in that time. And as I mentioned, we have over 90% of our members that do uh, participate and just reached the $6 million mark in November of uh, 2019. So, uh, and some of the organizations that we've been able to help, uh, some volunteer fire departments, a couple of uh, county health departments have received uh, grants, Things like Habitat for Humanity and Volunteers and Medicine and uh, United Services, which is a regional group that helps uh, folks in our area. Crisis Nurseries, Salvation Army, uh, a special project to help them with one of their housing uh, projects, uh, Youth in Need. Uh, we've been able to help a lot of schools in our area uh, with uh, drug awareness programs, uh, STEM programs, and uh, one of the areas that a number of our area high schools, there's a, a huge robotic programs in, in some of our area high schools, and we've been able to, uh, to provide grants to several of those high school robotic teams in their development. Uh, certainly in the healthcare issue, um, some handicap accessibility seems to be uh, one of the big uh, areas, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Uh, those type of, of things as far as assistance in the youth, big brothers, big sisters, uh, disabled athletes, sports association, a couple of, of local uh, regional YMCAs have uh, for special projects have gotten some money. And then, of course, we've also uh, provided grants for weatherization. So Operation Roundup does not allow those funds to be used to pay uh, utility bills, either for Quiver River or for any of the gas or our regional uh, investor-owned utility or any of the uh, municipal utilities in our area. But we do provide grants for weatherization. And so uh, AC or furnace uh, repair or replacement, uh, door replacements, insulation is a big one uh, in our some uh, our more rural areas, uh, home, mobile home skirting and underpinning. Uh, roof repairs, window replacement, those type of things on the weatherization side to can't pay for the uh, electric bill, but really want to help uh, those folks that apply for these grants to uh, to be able to uh, manage their energy use more uh, efficiently and therefore helping them to weatherize their home makes the most sense in, in doing that. 
the great thing about this program is available to anyone in our service area. They do not have to be Quiver River members. And, and uh, although many of our members do apply for this program, especially on the scholarship side, we're able to help individuals as long as they're with, they live within our uh, service territory, which is parts of, of five counties. So that's the, the Operation Roundup aspect of it. And uh, it's been very successful over the years. Again, uh, six million since the program uh, uh, started in 1997. So that's a, a big aspect of our community involvement, and, and um, a lot of folks are helped through this program, and, and, and the co-op gets some great recognition. And actually, then people wanting to know, uh, can they contribute to that trust fund? And so each year around the, the holidays, uh, we actually have a, a little program that says if if you wish to donate to Operation Roundup, here's the form that you can use. And so, you know, we, we do have uh, some members that, that ask to do that, and, and uh, we're certainly appreciative of their efforts to uh, help those in need in our, our community. And finally, just like all other co-ops, you know, we live in the areas that we in which we serve. We allow our employees to, you know, be little league coaches and involved in different uh, activities for their kids and their families and encourage that and help fund some of those uh, ball teams and, and those type of efforts. But the, the other thing that our uh, CEO, Doug Tracy, he's, uh, he became our CEO in 2017 after the retirement of our longtime CEO, Dan Brown. And Doug um, has a true heart for the community and wanted to provide another opportunity for our employees to give back to the community. And, and so he initiated just last year what we call Quiver Cares program. And he has a little committee set up and they pick out uh, one or two projects a year that employees can volunteer to help at uh, or fundraise for, do special projects for. We, we've done a couple of those in, in over the last uh, several, uh, well, just in the last year and a half, I guess, that the, the program has uh, started. The Emmaus Homes, a sheltered workshop uh, organization in our area, needed some help with some minor home repairs at one of their homes, and then a lot of landscaping work. The, the landscaping had just gotten uh, crazy and had not been taken care of. Uh, for a couple of days, we had employees volunteer, gave up some uh, of their work time. They had to take PL to do it or gave up some of their weekend or evenings. And uh, we had groups over there doing minor home repairs. One Saturday, I think about 30 uh, <laughs> took care of a lot of the landscaping needs uh, for that particular home. We certainly, uh, we, we have volunteered for Habitat for Humanity and, and helping uh, uh, on, especially on a weekend, take our turn at helping to build a, a couple of homes with Habitat for Humanity. Our very first project we ever did about a year and a half ago uh, was in the summer, and um, an organization uh, came to town and brought almost 500 volunteers, uh, high school students and their chaperones from across the country. They chose in Troy, Missouri, which is where our headquarters is located in Lincoln County, and um, that group uh, took applications and they would go around and help uh, mostly senior citizens 
at their homes, do special projects and that they couldn't do themselves, and did a lot of great community work. And so we volunteered to provide um, food prep and uh, distribution to them for a uh, on a Saturday and a Sunday for a weekend. And so we geared up and had, uh, I don't know, 40 or 50 different volunteers for each day. And um, we were able to help feed uh, for lunch and dinners uh, 500 of those and of those volunteers, the, the, the kids and all of their chaperones for, uh, uh, for those days. And so it's just, uh, you know, we've had some fundraisers then for uh, a youth center uh, here in, in our service area. Again, it's an opportunity for employees who have had good employment here at Quiver River Electric who uh, live in these communities. It just gives them an, an additional opportunity to uh, participate, to help strengthen the community and help those that uh, need some additional help in our communities to uh, to give them an opportunity to do so. And uh, with COVID, we've kind of put uh, that program on hold for a time being um, until obviously things return to some form of normalcy so that we can have some more opportunities to assist people. That's what we've done so far. And I know that it's a project that Doug uh, Tracy, our CEO, is is very, uh, um, it, it's kind of his pet. And uh, we're going to continue uh, to provide those opportunities for employees to help our communities uh, in the future as well. Definitely great opportunities uh, and, and good to see <clears throat> support from the CEO. Yes, and it really, as you know, it has to come from the, the top down and um, it was it was Doug's initial idea and uh, and then working with his committee, he it was developed further and it's it's been successful. Uh, we have special uh, t-shirts that uh, the employees that participate get. And so when we're working on those projects, we wear those t-shirts. Uh, again, the name of the project is CREC or Quiver Cares. It's been good for the employees and again, benefited some great organizations so far. And uh, I know that we'll continue that work in the, in the future. Quiver River Electric Cooperative is truly one of the difference makers in their communities. And I think our listeners can really understand the cooperative difference even more. Kevin Hurd with Quiver River Electric Cooperative in Troy, Missouri. Thank you so much for your time well, you're today. You're sure welcome, and I enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that this uh, gives some some uh, ideas to uh, to other cooperative members, or, or encourages them to to look for opportunities in their communities uh, uh, as well. Thanks for listening to the Power for Your Life podcast. To learn more about this topic and other safety efficiency and energy technology information, contact your local electric cooperative or visit us on the web at membersfirst.coop. You can also follow us on social media at facebook.com slash membersfirstcooperatives, pinterest.com slash membersfirst, or instagram.com slash membersfirst. If you have a question or topic you would like us to consider for an upcoming episode, email us at membersfirst at aeci.org.